I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This episode was a KubeCon retrospective where Klaus and I went through what happened at the KubeCon North America event in Detroit, specifically lessons learned in watching how the community was reacting to new technologies like CRDs, declarative programming, cluster API, what the health of the community was, the operators and vendors who were involved, and overall our impressions, my impressions um, of the show and, and Klaus really providing a lot of insight in what that means for a real operator. Fantastic conversation that really deep dives into practical use and futures in Kubernetes. I know you will enjoy it. Yeah, let's do the Kubernetes discussion. Um, and then, so that'll, if I can include this, you know, some of this hardware stuff, um, although it's probably better to hold till next week and do it as a, a on the thin OS's piece, because that's actually where it was, where I got pulled in. Um, and I appreciated our, our pre Kubernetes uh, warm up. I think that was, that was really helpful for me to go in um, watching and listening for stuff. I um, let, let me I'll, let me do a little bit of a sort of a show overview, I guess, for you. And then um, uh, supposedly there were like half of the half of the people were new. Um, I definitely ran into a lot of people who were new Kubernetes people. Um, and I ran into a fair number of users who are um, building Kubernetes infrastructure or using Kubernetes in one way or another for companies um, at different levels of maturity, uh, which is good. I mean, it's, it, that was healthy. I actually came out thinking that um, it was an overall healthy event, um, sort of very, you know, and as expected, sort of very inside baseball, like the, the, the keynotes I saw, the presentations I saw were really to the Kubernetes audience, like Kubernetes, internal audience, not the enterprise users or operators audience. So I still feel like we have operators at the event, but they're not um, not exactly engaged or not they're not they're not serviced in that in those meetings. Hmm. Um, the, let's see there was the the meetings were the the sessions I went to and granted I was picking sessions I wanted to see. Um, a lot of them were very focused on uh, CI pipelines or GitOps or some automated some process where people are building you know a, a, a check-in to delivery pipeline. Um, but I was picking things like cluster API sessions, um, edge sessions, CRD focused sessions. Um, the and I'll come back to that. I'll, I'll talk about CRDs because I. I I took your advice and I was listening to that a lot. I also talked to uh, the, the EBPF vendors and what they're doing. And they're very, there's a lot of excitement <laughs> around from them on what they're doing. Um, the um, 
uh, there, there was just a ton of vendors and, and there was a lot of um, vendors walking around and bumping into each other and, and, and doing that. Um, the vendors were very heavily weighted towards Kubernetes, Kubernetes, Kubernetes vendors. So a lot of adjacencies, a lot of eBPF, a lot of um, managed Kubernetes, or we do, you know, that it was, it wasn't like an enterprise, like surrounding shows. It, it was all like, this is, we help you do Kubernetes better, or we are part of the Kubernetes ecosystem. It wasn't, it wasn't as much broader use cases. Um, and it, there was really nobody who was just using Kubernetes and, and granted it's, it's the show for it, but there wasn't a lot of people who were building Kubernetes stuff and Kubernetes was the afterthought. Hmm. It was, it was like, like I didn't see, uh, and like I saw there's a fair bit of interest in crossplane and a lot of use in crossplane. Um, but it was still very Kubernetes focused. It wasn't really talking about uh, cross-plane in a general, in, it, that I saw in general, in a general sense. Um, I mean, it's yeah. it's understandable given that, A, it's KubeCon, not, not EnterpriseCon. Right. Um, but also in, in, in that um, Kubernetes requires a significant rethinking on, on how you approach um, your workload architecture design uh, as well as your workload delivery process. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I can see that, that uh, it favors more greenfield um, kind of developers. Right. And that's the, the thing that I was seeing is that it was, there was a lot of, I have Kubernetes, I'm trying to figure out Kubernetes or what to add into Kubernetes um, or how to, you know, how to use Kubernetes better, which is, you're right. That's, you know, I'm not going to show up at that show. They didn't have the audience for it um, with a enterprise solution that is Kubernetes, you know, really Kubernetes adjacent. Um, so you know, that was, that's, that's sort of the story. Actually, there's one, the, like I was interested in backstage when I was there and, and backstage, interestingly, is, is very Kubernetes adjacent. It's a CNCF incubated project, but it doesn't require Kubernetes. It doesn't have, you know, a lot of built-in integrations. It doesn't use CRDs. Um, it was, it's sort of a standalone thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so that was that was that. They did have a nice section, and actually, I spent a, a bit of time there, of um, like little project tables. So, like, I went and inspected Kubevert. I talked to um, what did I look at. I think K3S was there, so I talked to them a little bit. Um, I went to the backstage booth. Um, it was strange though, because they were literally these little standing tables, and some of them had, you know, some pretty high interest in those in those groups. It was it was an interesting balance between the the vendors, you know, the paid the paid slots and the uh, sort of the project freebies uh, get getting time, you know, how they would get time. Mm. Um, 
the and that was i mean that was i was very interested in things like cubevert um seeming to have come, you know come a long way being actively developed i ran into some friends who were you know uh pushing cubevert out you know in their own um package solutions and their own in their own sort of models, uh, which I didn't expect. I hadn't heard anything about it. So I was assuming the project was not seeing as much development time. Um, but apparently it's it's moving along. Um, it's an interesting yeah. paradigm that, that towards the beginning of Kubernetes, um, like I'm talking like, versions before 1.10 more or less. Um, the, there was a a trend towards running coordinates and, and virtual machines. And now it's yep. the other way around, running VMs on, on coordinates that uh it has taken the uh, has taken the like like the front stage uh, and um and 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 Kubernetes itself is, is now considered mature enough to, to run on, on bare metal. It's and I was I was watching for the bare metal story. Like I went to a set a session about Tinkerbell, which uh the metal cube, uh and, and also you know, listening in on Metal Cube or trying to find stuff about Metal Cube, which then builds on ironic. Um I it's it's really I mean the bare metal stuff is super hard um, because bare metal's hard, not because Kubernetes is hard. Um, what I did find and I thought was really interesting is the cluster API pattern. Um, you know, seems to be um, it's not production yet. They're still sort of banging through it, but it it definitely seems like it's the it's pr very prevalent. Um, from that perspective. So, uh, and the people I talked to, you know, they're using cluster API, they're committed to cluster API. Um, there's a lot of unanswered questions, like what, you know, what do you do outside of cluster API to manage and, and test the nodes and things like that. But um, it's, it's, so there's a lot of operational, like, let me try and explain it. You know, I'm coming at this as a company that does, op, you know, very operations focused. <laughs> um, there's a ton of people who are automating cluster API and excited about, you know, oh, I can spin up new clusters using um, cluster API and and like uh, a lot of talks about that that I went to, um, even ones that weren't about cluster API it often had like, yes, our CI, our CI system spins up, uses cluster API to spin up new clusters. Um, there wasn't a lot of thought about how you operate, no, right? no discussion at all or even interest on how you operate those machines that are spun up by cluster API outside of cluster API. Um, you know, like how would you apply the SSL or the SSL patch to those machines without without rolling them? And maybe the answer is you just roll them. Yeah. But um, yeah, along the same along the same lines, uh, one of the things that I, I see missing about 
like in, in terms of cluster API and, and like uh, Kubernetes and Kubernetes kind of uh, um, implementations right now is the ability to delegate um, services uh, or service accounts on, on bindings from uh, from the from the parent cluster. Uh, for, because one of the, the again like the one of the the, the main use cases of, of cluster API is in CI where, where you instead of creating a whole new cluster let's say with Terraform or, or whatnot you create one with cluster API on, and then it, it takes a fraction of the time to spin it up um, but when you run when you use it on a cloud platform like, EKS or, or or Google and so on, um, you end up missing the, the integrations that you would otherwise have, um, like IAM bindings and, and whatnot. Um, so it's it, it it I think we we're still a year or two out from uh, in terms of maturity uh, for cluster API. Uh, but it, it's yes. it's good to see a healthy amount of enthusiasm about it. There, I I didn't see like I I've talked to somebody who was using uh, had a fork of cops and was still maintaining. Or is that you? Um, no, it wasn't you. No, uh, somebody somebody who's maintaining cops. Um, I talked to so many people. <laughs> okay, um, but the. Um, for the most part, the people who were using it are using Cluster. Right? We did. We have a project in Rackend where we're trying to automate um, EKS, and that has been um, a train wreck, frankly. Um, and I talked. I was talking to people at the show, and um, the EKS automation story is actually problematic um, from that perspective. In that. EKS, EKS Cuddle, and also the Terra, even the Terraform EKS stuff actually then calls cloud formations, and then cloud formations does the does most of the work. Um, and so the the integrations that you get in building EKS are actually really um, indirect, and there's a lot of information that's hard to get out of EKS from an ops to me from an ops perspective. Do y'all use EKS in that? Maybe you have a better experience. We do not currently use EKS, although I've used it in, in the past. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's been a mixed experience, um, but uh, there there's. Um, there's pros and cons I find with EKS. EKS is a lot more decoupled, excuse me, uh, from the from the cloud platform uh, versus, uh, let's say, AKS or GKE, um, which, on on the one hand, um, it means that you have looser integration uh so you need to do more work in in terms of securing it on the other hand it also means that um 
it is more or it gives you the the feeling of being more more portable when you use it. Right, that makes sense. It, it it's just I don't feel like and not, this didn't come up at the show. Nobody's asking like how do I maintain the machines in my cluster? They're you know and maybe they don't maybe they don't maybe people don't don't care. Um uh, as in as in the like the the bare metal under your nodes or well bare metal they definitely should be carrying um but like yeah because i mean at that point you you better be watching the bios patches the network connectivity the os patches right but even if you're deploying in cloud and you know unless you're rolling the nodes and building new new images underneath those nodes really fast you're you know, you need a, I would assume you need an audit process that says, hey, I better scan these machines that I'm using to build the cluster on a, for, you know, security basis, monitoring basis, um, you know, just some, you know, I, I'm assuming, right, that you, yeah. you, you want some access to them for um, audit monitoring. Yeah, I, I mean, in, in terms of, of that, um, for for companies that that do on-prem Kubernetes, um, it it is not much different to to audit and monitor your Kubernetes nodes versus say a Docker VM. Um, sure. And and a lot of companies, for a lot of companies, the the, the path towards cloud nativeness and containerization goes through Docker first. Um, so. I would expect that that most of them already have those toolings in place, and then for hmm. and then for for SaaS offerings like the GKE uh, that already come with hardened uh, base images, um, in many cases it's it's a hands off approach. Like e even the like like for 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 Fedramp moderate. Like Google will will tell you that they care of anything below the the network level. So, um, so they would just they would just roll a new image for you. If yeah, you're they, they, their... they, they they roll their own their own images, uh, and as long as you stay on the on the release channels for that, uh, and and stick to their hardening guidelines, which again recommend their hardened uh, container OS uh, system, um, it's it's hands off. Uh, EKS, it, it is a little bit different, but again, because it's more decoupled. Uh, but, um, I, I, I would not be surprised if, again, like if either you pick a, a hardened OS that, that is, that does it for you out of the box, or, uh, you use the same kind of tooling that you would use for any other container host. Okay. So, so from I mean that that is a big win from an ops perspective. Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, and 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 it's ultimately it's, it's one of the, the the reasons why, um, Cornet is 
SaaS solutions are so attractive. It's mm. that you, the, you you only need to worry about things that are that are above the control plane. Um, Interesting. So what you're describing, my frustrations are actually a feature <laughs> from that yep. perspective. Uh, yeah. Because at that right, what what you're describing is like, yeah, we don't want to um, have to log into these systems to to mess with them, and yeah. so logging into them actually would be a, um, you know, not log, you know, but to me, track you know, tracking, accounting, um, eesh, all right. And that I guess is one of the things is very different from for on premises bare metal, or even on premises VMs is you don't have that control plane yeah and, and doing it on-prem is is a lot more difficult uh, I, i've done it <laughs> and um suddenly you you have not one platform to do to maintain but two really uh, because everything above the control plane uh, that that's the that's the user facing or the developer facing uh platform Anything below that is the infrastructure platform, and, and they're, they they feel decoupled, but uh, there's definitely a, the the blast radius overlaps. So um, it's it's so essentially this, double the, the the effort to to maintain both of them. Well, and this is where right one of my takeaways. Uh, for for us for end was right cluster api has reached this level of saturation where um and it's not just saturation it's alignment with the way people think about kubernetes that was one of the things i spent a lot of time watching was like how people thought about kubernetes and the reason cluster api is important is not because it's an automated uh kubernetes install it's actually important because it aligns with um, the GitOps declarative uh, workflows that, that everybody's talking about. Right? That's that's the takeaway to me. It's like, yeah, cluster API. It's it's actually not that complex. It doesn't do a lot of operations work. But oh my goodness, for the people building a CI pipeline with Kubernetes, it's it's delivered something that they needed. Yeah. Yeah, um, particularly when when you when you start doing CI with, uh, but again with, with with workloads that require multiple resources, um, it's been historically difficult to clean up afterwards. So the, what what Cluster mm -hmm. API gives you is essentially okay. I'm gonna create a cluster, gonna run my workload, and then I just need to worry about cleaning up my cluster. Everything inside of it is scoped to it, um, so I I don't need to worry about cleaning that part up. Um, of course, the the flip side of that is that you're you're losing the integrations with with external services, like what I mentioned before, like the the lack of delegation uh, for service accounts and such, um, which can be problematic, um, but uh, I mean, it's different sides of the same coin. Right. But it just, I mean, it strikes me so much just that 
And and this is the challenge of it being inside baseball. The Kubernetes people want everything to be, and I know you're one of them, but the, you know, <laughs> want want it want to want to sort of speak this language. That was the CRD wake up call to me. Um, in in this, you start you you made that pretty clear in the in our in our pre call about this. So I went in validating it at KubeCon, and the the CRD investment is really a different, it's a whole different operating model. Yes. Um, I I went to a talk, fascinating, um, with Amazon talking about a code generator that they're building to build all their CRDs. Because there's so many of them and they they change and they have to keep, it was just, they had to create a code generator. They have 200 CRDs they're trying to build and maintain. Um, it makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and the way CRDs are designed, it, it actually works well with that because you, you have a deterministic spec. Uh, so you, you, you can do your validation on, on your, your linting beforehand and, and be certain that it will work in prod. And the behavior mapping and well, and the thing that the thing that made me go, you know, my, it was it was really an aha moment in the, in the talk because, you know, I was like, API, the Amazon API is, you know, it's accessible, you could just use it. And the, the, the speed with J pipes, um, somebody I know from OpenStack and respect a lot. Um, and he, he was, he was like, yeah, well, it's declarative. And so people want to use the Amazon API in a declarative way and then let us deal with the fact that, you know, that declarative change might might result in a long sequence of, you know, uh, order-dependent operations or, you know, f- talking to four or five APIs to get that thing right. Um and he's like, the, the, you know, we're building it so that all that stuff is is abstracted from you. You're just saying this is an object. This is the state I want it to be in, and then we're dealing with all our API shenanigans in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was sort of an aha for me, where I'm like, okay, you're t- you're you're telling me that that the Kubernetes community does not want to consume the Amazon APIs as APIs. They want to consume them as declarative objects. They, I, I, I think that the, the, the critical part there is that the community does not want to deal with a web-based API anymore. It, it's too detached from all the other resources that they use. Like, like let's say Terraform. Hmm. It, it, like, you, you, people would rather use a, let's say, an Ansible module or, or a Terraform module that that essentially just calls the the the, the Amazon API for you, than than to have to to go through through the docs and undoing the HTTP uh, that the or the it should be get <laughs> you, post. the and, Amazon and API the response is, is, like okay did it succeed or not yeah like all all of that that case handling is neatly packaged for you already yeah well um, the Amazon API is distinctly unusable and um, but uh, they it to me I looked at it because I was trying to bypass the CLI for something and 
I ended up being like, oh, they basically wrote an API that's designed to service the CLI. <laughs> and there's very little, you know, it's otherwise it's it's a really hard API to use. Um, the, the CLI part anyway. is a little bit of a pain point for me. And that I, I, I um, I'm I'm always hesitant to rely on CLI binaries for mm. for cloud integrations because it it means that I, I I am then bound to a specific machine because I I need to have the binary installed. Oh. Um, so in, interest we we wrapped the binary into a container so you can make it into a resource broker or um a work or throw it into a workflow if you need to do that and, and that's actually a, a trend that i'm seeing as well that is either like okay you you can download the binary from 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 github or you can just uh get this container and, and run stuff and, and yeah i would i would never um actually run it from my machine from that perspective yeah it's a very but, very but it happens it, it does i mean i have it on my machine and and uh i don't run it there very often anymore <laughs> it's, it's so painful yeah yeah there's a there's a lot of cloud quote-unquote native um vendors that that their, their their preferred method is to use a CLI tool. Like even Google. Like Google relies a lot on their G Cloud binaries and on, on their SDK. Yeah, yeah. Um and I I find that I mean I, I understand why why Google needs to do it in particular because that they not only it, it, like it's not only just integration with, with API, but it's also um, sim simplification of the entire authentication workflow. Which is that's that's what makes one of the things that makes Amazon's API so hard to use is the or is the auth, is the auth workflows. Um, yeah, like but but then they but then they packaged everything with they didn't they're ver they're not resty. It's it's very verby. Um, yeah. And, and it's it's an unfortunate side effect, but but it all of short-lived tokens and, and and again like that. Uh by by making things more secure, you're also making it more difficult to do declaratively. Um you, you can still do it in mobile, like with scripting, but but you you end up with if you're not careful, you end up having a lot more overhead because you might end up retraining your token for every request, whereas you only need to retrain it when it expires or something like that. Right. That's right. Um, oh, that's that's a that's a that's a we we have a similar thing from yeah. from a caching perspective. But but, but yeah. But then would I it, I mean, does it work to put CRDs in front of all that stuff? Because I mean, nice thing about at least a Terraform plan is that, that it's an or, it's it's a mini orchestration, and you're cascading information thing to thing to thing. If you're doing a whole bunch of CRDs for Amazon, you're going to have to do the orchestr. You're you're going to have to do that. That maybe you don't. It's not a big deal. Maybe it's actually probably better. You have to do a little bit of orchestration to say, I need a VPC. I need a. Um, 
you know, disk. I need an IP address. I need a, a machine, you know, put, I need to put all those together to answer my machine request. Um, I guess you could put, put watchers and have them connect to each other and watch for that. It seems a little, it, it yeah. depends. Like if, okay. if you, if you deal with resources that can be, um, can be managed asynchronously. And if those resources have, uh, have a, the, the chance of occasionally failing on the request, but are in, important enough that you can just retry it, then yes, it, it makes sense to, to put it as a CRD. Because then your operator take, like, because of its continued its task to do continuous reconciliation will we'll just say like, okay, like I, I created resources A, B, C, and, and D, but E failed. Uh, and, uh, and, and E is a dependency for A and B. So A and B is not ready yet, but it will retry to do E. And then if that succeeds, then everything is, is great. This is one of my pain, point, pain points with Terraform is that if Terraform fails, you need to retry. Uh, um, you need to be yeah. quite careful sometimes with the retry process. So, oh, yeah, that's right. So doing continuous reconciliation or, or even drift detection with, with Terraform is still is still not a well-solved problem. Uh, Atlantis, <laughs> actually, uh, which is one of the tools that we use, um, so Atlantis for Terraform, um, they recently... Uh, earlier this year, they, they they have a patch now where they have an API where you can um, basically request a a plan against a particular um, a, a resource that 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 Atlantis knows, uh, and it will tell you if if there's any drift or not. So the, the, there's definitely people who are aware of the problem. Um, but uh, worked on but that that didn't you can take you can I missed I'm confused <laughs> on the okay. Atlantis side so so Atlantis um the typical the, or the the historical workflow uh, that, that Atlantis was designed for is you create a merge request the this calls a webhook to Atlantis. Atlantis does your Terraform plan. Uh, it responds back to your or to, to your merge request or pull request um, uh, and, and says like, okay, these are the changes that happened. And then you and then you comment in, in, in your own pull request. Uh, so, okay, Atlantis right. apply. And it goes and applies it. And if and even if you configure it that way, Atlantis can then say, okay, apply finished successfully. I will close the, this, this pull request as done, uh, which is great. Because then it, it means that you don't need to have your developers, you don't need to give your developers permissions to to create infrastructure. It's just Atlantis that needs to do it. Uh, and then you can add any kinds of checks that you want in, into, into that workflow. Um, and um, I'm, I'm basically have your verification in, in, in the same process uh, as as when you do your plan on a so, yeah, that's an it's an inter it's an interesting idea 
Yeah. I hadn't even because we like we do a similar drift detect, like we have a way to do a drift detection, which is it's pretty straightforward to do it. But yeah, you could it would be simple enough to inject that into a workflow to say before you do the apply, I want you to do a drift a drift detect and then flat raise an error. That's actually yeah. a really simple. Well, um, so 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 that, that that's just for for the the like the regular workflow. Now now the problem is that. In between pull requests, Atlantis does nothing because Atlantis is basically like the the trigger for Atlantis, or at least the the the, the historically recommended trigger for Atlantis is your is your pull request. So if you don't update your pull request, Atlantis will not do any plan, and and, and you will not see that there's a trick happening. Uh, right. Um, but what what they recently added is an it's an API endpoint for, uh, in addition to their webhook, where you can where you can say, okay, do a plan against this particular resource, uh, and it, and it will tell you if if it drifted or not. And and I believe there's also an, an apply one. Um, I haven't I haven't tested that, uh, but it, it it means that you can start using Atlantis with uh with a different workflow where you say, okay, after you have done your pull request you do continuous tests uh against the, the the plan part of it to ensure that you have no no drift happening uh so, and, and this is actually solves one, one of the the other issues which is um the the locking aspect so so it, i mean you could you could totally do the this plan and, and and apply out of band of, of Atlantis but if you have a uh, if you have a pull request in process you don't want to override that uh, by right. by doing this via a call to Atlantis itself you take advantage of the internal locks that Atlantis uses to prevent you from doing that okay But yeah, it's uh, again like uh, the the bottom line still is that for Terraform itself, um, there there is not a, a lot of options available yet for continuous reconciliation. Um, and I I understand right. that's right. Mm-hmm. I understand that in some cases it, it's not even possible because resources may not be important. Uh, but um, at least ninety percent of them should be important, which means that you could do your continuous reconciliation, um, which then means that let, let's say one of your one of your nodes, one of your VMs dies. Well, it gets recreated uh, as long as the, the the VM is managed declaratively. Then. Um, either with a GitOps uh, tool or with a CloudNet or a combination thereof, um, you, you can then manage a fleet of VMs or even just like a, a set of resources that, that you manage via Terraform. The same way that you manage your resource, resources inside Kubernetes using GitOps. So, 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 and in, in my view, this is GitOps leaking out of Kubernetes, uh, uh, and it's a good thing. 
I guess the and there was less. By the way, there was less GitOps than I was expecting. Um, from that perspective, at at the, at the it, I mean, there was a lot of it implicit, um, and a lot of assumption of. Um, why am I blanking on the build project? Um, what's the project everybody's using for automated build inside of the inside of Kubernetes? Uh, are you talking about scaffold or or or, no. or motor GitOps ones? Like there's there's no, stocks, neither there's neither of them. Um, it's Kubernetes CI CD. Hector. Um, that's it. I, no, I'm having a complete brain fart. Um, I mean, th th there's a number of CI CD tools that I can think of, um, but um, um No, there's a there's a project that does um, CI/CD. Is it all Jenkins? I keep coming up with Jenkins. Um, uh, the, the. Uh. Google is failing me and my brain is failing me too. Um, it's it's a the build it's a big build project. Uh, hold on. Adobe did a big presentation about it. Um, Argo. Uh, Argo workflows, or this Argo in general. Hmm. Yeah, I heard a lot of Argo. It might have been the things I was I was looking at. But uh, I mean, I, I I know of Argo CD, which is the again the, the GitHub tool for continuous delivery uh, under consolidation. Um, but the Argo project itself has more than, than just that. It also has like Argo workflows, Argo rollouts, and so on. Unless you're you're thinking of, of again of a unless there's a different Argo one that's not related to this project. No, Argo CD and Argo workflows is what what they were talking about. But I mean no. We're back to reconcile. We're back to CRDs and reconciler patterns, <laughs> which yeah. is literally what's what you know. It, it was it was funny because I kept hearing this is this is right. The conference reached this point of critical mass in the community, and this is what our, we we talked about in prep. And then I saw in in effect, which was people were were singing consistently from the same the same hymnal. Um, without meaning to, without realizing quite how much the community is following the same patterns. 
and the CRD using CRDs to uh, state to store and track information and then reconcilers that watch those CRDs and then trigger downstream actions, right? But look like the whole Argo process is basically putting things in CRDs and then having follow-on things that would watch those and then kick kick off processes automatically. I saw a whole talk yep. about, about this and it's literally waves of CRDs, waves of, yeah, waves of CRD updates propagating through systems. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, and, yeah, and and this is also one of the things that I think is revolutionary about Kubernetes is hmm. that the what what you see is, is that Kubernetes is not just another tool that that replaces your your previous orchestration um, platform. It's really just the inception of a different process of managing your infrastructure. Um, and I don't think we, we've seen that since since VMs. Like even, even Docker containers ended up being more a little bit more than just packaging up your your application with um, with its dependencies and, and and then delivering it. It but, didn't. But, it didn't really change how things work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like you, you you could run Docker on on the VM and then still use the pretty much the same process that you were doing using before. Uh, but with Kubernetes, what you see, what we're at least what I'm seeing is that. Um, the the it enables you to let go of a lot of baggage. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it comes with, it with its own. Uh, That's what I was going to say, <laughs> uh, but um, it it uh, it shifts left the automation that it does for you. Um, so this is this is there's an interesting topic to pursue in the future because we're, we're just about out of time because I I and and all right if you have a cloud service that takes care of all that infrastructure for you it definitely shifts it left and you're done if you are running your own infrastructure or you know, or below that layer it's you still have to do that work but now it's been decoupled. And it's, it's interesting because I agree it's shifted left, but but if you're an operator, I think what it's really doing is opening up a chasm between the developer experience and the the operations moves further to the right in a way, or at least right you're you're responsible for maintaining the, the a self service infrastructure that has a whole bunch of automation and APIs, and you, that all better work in a complete you know all the you know but. You're not, you know. There's a there's a increasingly firm boundary. Maybe that's just the cloud providers doing their job. But. I, I agree with the decoupling. Uh, I don't think I agree with with the chasm side of thing. Mm, um, okay. I mean, yes, it 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 is still a, a lot of work to maintain on-prem 
Kubernetes, uh, again, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, but the the key part is that um, the on-prem infrastructure uh, becomes more predictable. Um, so while it so while it 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 decouples the infrastructure more from the workload, uh, which is good because the infrastructure team doesn't need to customize it to the for for the developers. Um, it it the the fact that it's predictable also means that the developer like the the infrastructure team can make changes and be more certain than before that they will not that these changes will not disrupt their developers um uh like workloads because they those changes should be transparent uh above the Kubernetes plane. That's the challenge. Yeah. But well it's it's No, it, it's to me, you want to be able to pierce the abstraction boundary, which is what you're describing. And it needs to be incredibly resilient so that, that you can drive all that automation, right? But at the same time, I, I think that it also, and this is to me where the Kubernetes stuff is not as, as effective. It's not particularly transparent in the back end because we haven't, you know, like clouds, you don't need it to be transparent in the back end. Because and in a way, to me, you're arguing for transparency. You're like, I actually need to know when I get stuff, what it's done. Is that a fair? I, I used to think that. I, I, you know, like back when, when in, in the early days of containerization and, 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 and Docker and Kubernetes, I, I myself was a strong opponent of it because hmm. okay. I, I felt like I was losing control. And, and, and I am. Uh, I, I do lose control when, when, when I go from VMs to Kubernetes. But the thing is that I realized why that was bothering me then was that when I was doing this with VMs, like with OS patching and, and, and stuff, I had to have the control because things would often go wrong and I would have to have the control to go in and fix it. Right. Um, I don't have to do that anymore with Kubernetes. Like it, it the, the the fact that the the reconciler um, restores any service that that fails is according to the spec that I give it, and and it's predictable and reliable. That's such a huge win that that I I don't have to worry about things failing anymore. On, on, on like unless it's a permanent failure, but but intermittent failures they they just fix themselves. I, I, Wait, they how they how do they just fix themselves? Well, let, let's say a a node gets restarted, but okay, your yes, your 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 pods temporarily die, uh, but once the node comes back, it rejoins the cluster. Uh, or, or, or 
or let's say, or or if the node gets replaced again, like you have you have another node that that is joined to the cluster, and your workloads shift automatically to like your 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 the your your number of replicas stays like uh, stays consistent, plus or minus. Um, because the, again, the Kubernetes control plane says like, oh, like the spec says I, I need five replicas, but right. the node died and I only have three now. Let's create two more. Yeah, I, but doesn't I, I, doesn't doesn't somebody care like to diagnose that why the nodes died? Or I mean, and oh. maybe we're talking about the same thing. If if I had a if I had a resilient system, I mean this is what we're trying to what we try to do with bare metal, right? I have a I have a resilient system where I can say I'm done with that node, it's not responding, kill it, it give me a new node. And and if that system works, then you know, you're the, the person maintaining the cluster doesn't care at all. They just get a new node, it's working, it's good. Somebody somewhere I would think wants to know what happened to that machine, right? Yes. Uh, and this is this is another thing that, that has changed with, with cloud native technology and, and Cornelius has really catapulted this to the forefront is that um the the revolution in, in observability. Is that you're you're no longer just producing logs and on 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 disjoint like memory dumps. You you, you now have full traces mm. of your workloads, and because your workloads right. are are more deterministic and more domain specific, uh, you don't need to go digging uh, as to why something happened. Like you, it all bubbles up to the top already for you. Um, that that is. Another aspect of the of the Kubernetes revolution that that I see is that, um, and it 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 gives it, the, the the information is put at your fingertips, um, and being able to diagnose why something goes wrong is now much more much more easy because your a your failure domain is is narrow. Right, because uh, you're and, still and, with the Kubernetes, all the right, right, right. That's uh, yeah, and, and B, like the, all, all of the, the critical information is, is already there, present. You you don't need to add additional tooling to get that. And 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 this is also again like it, it, you you bring this also to 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 the underlying hardware, like to to the nodes. Like if you like with 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 specific with uh, with with cloud native uh, observability tools, you you can do the, the very same thing at, at the node level now, uh, and it it wasn't designed for it initially, but it definitely benefits from it. I need to, yeah, I, I, this is going to be a fascinating thing to talk about with some of these thin OSs, because I think what you're describing is the supposed promise with the thin OSs. Yeah. yeah. Quite a bit. Um, I, I, again, like, it, it, I, as long which, which as... I, I get, yeah. Uh, as long as you, you stay within that 90% of, of, of use case where, where the thin OS works, 
perfectly out of the box. Uh, it is a no-brainer no of a choice. Um, there's still cases, however, where where Kunis is is not great for, uh, and, and yeah, but like like any any kind of custom networking with VLANs or or jumbo frames <laughs> or, or anything like that. Uh, no, no, you're straight back to the on-premises. On so, so wait, wait, wait. Then I was people would ask me what I thought about this this summit versus the next, and then we do need to wrap up, um, but. Because what my comment was, I said, this is the last easy Kubernetes summit, the, the last easy KubeCon. Because in the next, next North American, right, there's a six-month lag. All the papers and topics and talks and travel and right is, was set six months ago. Mm -hmm. The next, you know, but I think there's a lot of these use cases that you're describing that people are now showing up and saying, I want to do something hard. I want to run this on premises. I want to run this on the edge. I want to deal with networking and storage arrays that aren't typical, right? They're, they're, they're because enterprise. And I heard this in a couple of places and I think it's right. So far, Kubernetes has told the enterprise to meet, to come to them. This now there's enough enterprise use that, that people, that enterprise has to come to the, or Kubernetes has to come to the enterprise. Um, you know, the enterprise isn't going to be able to move much further um, because they have very real constraints. Um, and I think um, that the next, hopefully the next KubeCon is going to be talking about how to meet those constraints more. I, I, I think it's going to be a mixed kind of thing. Yes, there, there, there's going to be difficult problems that, that, that will need to be solved. Uh, I, I disagree with it being the last easy one, but, but because the same argument could have been done in the early days of Kubernetes before stateful sets. Like storage back then was a hard problem. Oh my and, and god! Now it's, yeah, that's and, right. And now it's almost solved. Like that. Like the the the, the ease with, with with which you can integrate storage is just amazing. Um. So I, I have high hopes for seeing the same result in, in the networking world in, in, in the future. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how things turn out. Interesting insight. I, I networking as well, maybe with eBPF, it's, it's, it's going to be easier. Yeah, I I don't know if easier is is the right word, but uh, it, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting. Well, it's um, it's hard. I mean, all these things are hard. Uh, I do need to run. Yeah, like right, so we'll we'll pick we'll pick we'll keep you know you and I are this, I, I really appreciate the conversation actually because I I think we're getting into a level of of what things are and understanding it. It's helpful. It's helpful helpful to me. So. Thank you. You're welcome. Talk to you soon. Cheers. There is so much to be learned in the Kubernetes community. As Klaus said, it's really changing how we approach building applications. It's a paradigm shift that is really watching uh, and being unfolded 
as we as we watch, as we attend these conferences, as we talk to people. And that was something that was really apparent in this conference, and we will continue to dissect and discuss in the coming months. So please come in, join us, ask questions, share your operational experience around Kubernetes. You can find out more at the 2030.cloud. Be part of the conversation. We're looking forward to talking with you. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.